you know what? We started last week Acts 9, which is a story of one of the greatest transformations that you read in the Bible. Of course, they're all great. They're all fantastic. But that story of Paul and how God did that, it is um, quite interesting, isn't it? To see what uh, God did with Paul as he was going to Damascus, that great big city, and as he was going to persecute all the Jewish Christians that had fled up to Damascus because there was a good Jewish population up there anyway in synagogues all over the place. And that's where he's going to go. Go into the synagogues with his, what we call it, permits and to legally oust those people out of there and bring them back to Jerusalem to torture and do whatever they were going to do with them. And so that's what Paul was going to do until God intervened. And boy, what a story that is. And of course, we I think we took it up to through the first nine verses last week. And of course, he was out, uh, out of his sight, couldn't see. Three days, I'm sure he was concentrating on nobody but Christ. Can you imagine the thinking that he had to be doing and dwelling upon uh, all those scriptures that he had memorized and being the Pharisee that he was and being under Gamaliel, he knew, he knew the Old Testament had memorized much of it. And all of a sudden those scriptures were starting to come alive uh, as definitely the Holy Spirit has filled him and he's getting personal uh, teaching from Holy Spirit, from Christ, and he is uh, definitely praying. He definitely has um, a time with the Lord during those three days. And um, there's a man there that God has prepared to go to Saul. And that is an interesting story in itself because the most feared man as far as the Christians are concerned, because it's mainly because of him and other ones, that they were fleeing to Damascus in the first place. And there's a guy by the name of Ananias who knows full well what Saul is there for. And so whenever he gets the call from the Lord, <laughs> it's quite the surprise what the Lord has in store. And God does that sometimes, doesn't He? He definitely gives us surprises. So, let's uh, pick it up at uh, verse 10. Chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for not my name's sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, <laughs> the Lord Jesus, 
who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, he got up, was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. I can't help but kind of smile (laughs) at this story. I mean, this is an amazing story. You know, the, the story writer of all, God, he writes some good ones. These are truths. These are truths, but yet they still have a bit of uh, irony, humor, uh, wonder, awe, amazement. And I am, I'm just tickled to be in this section just to see, again, how the Lord works. And this is definitely the book of, uh, I think we can call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because He is definitely controlling. He always does. Uh, but it's neat to read about it and just uh, kind of come together. Uh, this is a joyous time. God's people coming together and we get to take this in. You know, It's like sitting down watching one of our favorite movies. Only this is reality. This is, this is really it. Anyway, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You. Thank You so much again for Your Word. And it definitely holds our attention. And Father, we uh, pray for Your Holy Spirit to... Uh, guide us into these truths, a story that probably all of us are very familiar with this and some are even very, very familiar. I've read it maybe a hundred times. But your story never gets old. As a matter of fact, it just keeps jumping and is alive. And so, Lord, um, may we learn to be uh, better servants because of Ananias and because of Saul who becomes Paul. And it's all about you and serving you. You are the master. Thank you for letting us be in your household as your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Here's a a commissioning for service. It's commissioning Saul, but it's commissioning this guy by the name of Ananias. And... uh, he just does what the Lord says, but he's wondering, eh, do I, am I really, is this really, are you right? Are, are you sure this is okay? Now there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. A disciple, a learner, Mathetas. Uh He might have been quite a leader uh, in, in the church, uh, at the synagogue there. He, he knows what uh Saul is doing and what's going on. Um, a lot of I, I'm probably he, he's from that area, but a lot have come from Jerusalem and Judea, and because uh, they've been ushered out of there. I mean, they they've been running, and so here, here's this man that God prepares in this big city, and the Lord speaks to this one man and speaks in a vision. Makes it very well aware. This is the Lord. There's no doubt about it. Right there, the Lord is there. And He calls him by his name. And uh, it kind of reminds me of Bill Cosby. <laughs> back in back in the old days, back in the 60s, he had those record albums, you know. And he did that one called Noah. Noah! You know? And it's like Noah looks around, you know. And, who, me? <laughs> who, who are you? But um, 
the Lord makes it definite of who He is. He knows, and He and and I like His reply. He said, "Here I am, Lord." Well, the Lord already knew where He was at. That's not the problem. And then, but at the same time, it's like, hey, He's got His attention. Kind of reminds me of uh, the prophet Isaiah. You remember in Isaiah six, where you have. Uh, the holiness of God being portrayed there, and of course the uh, the angels are there, and uh, then the voice of the Lord gives a commission to Isaiah, saying, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And then I said, "Here am I, send me." And of course the Lord uh, gives him the opportunity uh, to do that. And he recognized his. He's a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined, you know. I'm I'm a I'm a sinner who lives among other sinners. And uh, of course, he's cleansed by the Lord, and then he's ready to serve. Here am I, Lord, send me. Well, Paul has just been cleansed by that blinding. Uh, but Ananias, and he's he's going to be ready to go. But Ananias, right here, he's not been in the story at all, and all of a sudden he just pops up, and uh, you see him here, and then he's gone. But he does a great thing. This is the Apostle Paul. It's going to be Apostle Paul that he's going to go to. So the Lord said to him, get up. I guess he was sitting down. Maybe laying down. I don't know. Maybe when he saw the Lord, he he laid down. I don't know. Whatever it is, get up. Go to the street called Straight. That's interesting. In Damascus, there was a, a, a huge thoroughfare called Straight Street. Today, Running along that east and west line is still that a street there. It's straight street, it's just like that in that same area. So it, it exists. Uh, that would be a story right there, isn't it? You'd, you'd want to open up your book of Acts chapter nine and, and read that. It, ooh, just standing right there. Um, and he's, I want you to go to this house that's on the other end of town there, city, and it's the house of Judas. Of course, we know that. That's not the Judas we usually think of as the disciple. Um, another Judas. That was a popular name, anyway. And he says, a man from Tarsus named Saul. Well, Saul would be one thing. That could be a popular name. But he's from Tarsus. Now, this is making it pretty clear. you know. And everybody knows about this guy, if you're a Christian. And he's praying. Now, that's interesting. God tells him this this man by the name of Saul, who you've probably heard about, is praying. He's probably prayed a lot in his life. Matter of fact, I am sure that he made it very aware that he prayed. We know Pharisees made it aware that they prayed. They'd pray uh, how many times a day? Was it three times a day? Uh, they would pray in the streets certain uh, certain times of the week that uh, people would uh, see them. I, I don't know exactly what uh, what Saul did as far as that concerned, but he had prayed before, but his prayers really meant nothing at that time as far as being a, uh, a non-believer of Christ. And once you are belonging to Christ, now your prayers go right up to heaven, and he hears those. Yep. Now his prayers are very meaningful. He's talking. He's communing with the Lord. He's communing with Christ, who is the very one he was what? Persecuting. So, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Ananias has a vision of the Lord. 
Saul has a vision of the Lord. It, and, and, of course, this is what's going to happen. That's interesting that the Lord would make this very evident. Um, he does so many different ways and different uh, methods. And you remember whenever he had... Um, um, uh, not... Um, Philip. Philip. That's what I'm thinking of. To meet the Ethiopian. You remember when that happened? Now, he didn't necessarily give him uh, a vision there, but he told him what to do. He's talking to him, and he told him where to go, but he didn't exactly know what was going to happen. Now, here, Ananias actually is getting this vision, and he is told you know, um, who, who he's going to meet and what he's going to do. So there's different ways that God is operating, and um, the way that this comes about, I think, is, is so fascinating um, he says that he, he already knows. He, he, you know, he's seen this vision, and that you're going to come in, you're going to lay hands on him, and then he's going to get his sight back. And Ananias answers, "You have to like this, Lord. I I've heard from many about this man, uh, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Um, your saints. He's coming up here to to get us. He's going to rest. You want me to go to that house where he's at and talk to him. <laughs> you you want me to give him his sight back. You want me to go there. And here he has authority. Remember, he has those permits from the chief priest. And we know that's been told already to bind all who call on your name. Now, there the saints are called all who call on your name. Sometimes they're called. Uh, often in the epistles we see saints mentioned the most, and uh, there are other uh, terms for the church as you go through the book of Acts. But here, the ones who call upon the uh, name, we sang that song tonight. All those who call upon. Call upon the name of the Lord to bind us. Lord, you know what you're telling me to do. And you have to like the Lord here. He could have said, shut up and go. Do what I say. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. (laughs) When he had to hear that first line there, He's thinking, what? With what he's doing to your church, to your saints, and he's a chosen instrument? The Lord continues to bear my name before the Gentiles. Not only Gentiles, kings and the sons of Israel. He's going to go to the most highest leaders. And, of course, they've already been doing that, haven't they? And so, um, this this is a chosen instrument. And Ananias is, has been saying, Are you sure, Lord? And the Lord says He's a chosen instrument. Look in Galatians. We've been doing Galatians on Sunday. Have you noticed how Galatians and Acts have really been kind of complementing each other? Yeah, as you're doing... Both studies is kind of fascinating, isn't it? 
I didn't really design it that way. <laughs> it just happened that way. Yeah, it's a God thing. <laughs> Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, yep, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who incidentally raised Him from the dead. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I wasn't sent from men. And he got his message straight from God. Right? Um, look in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as he writes to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verse 7. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Look in 2 Timothy 1.11. He never forgot that being chosen as an instrument of God. 2 Timothy 1.11 For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He was appointed. He was appointed by God, not by men. Uh, look in Colossians 1. Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly, established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings, after he talks about being a minister, sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of His body, which is the church. Did you know we are Christ's body here on earth? His body. In filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He says, whatever Christ had in His sufferings, I continue it on in the sufferings that I get. And the church also. Of this church I was made a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. A chosen instrument to do those things. That's amazing. That's uh, what Christ called him to do. Of course, he has made many ministers. As a matter of fact, we are all ministers in general ways, servants, servants of the Lord. We've been called to do that. And uh, on behalf of his body. Anyway, that's, uh, that's what Paul is going to get here very shortly. And, of course, the Lord tells Ananias this. He's a chosen instrument. And He's going to bear My name of all people. Of all people. This gives hope to anybody. The worst of the worst. Paul can do that because of what he had done to the saints before this happened. And that's a great 
opportunity that he has in serving the Lord. And then you notice also in that verse 16, for I, uh, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, he's going to bear my name. He's going to show my authority. He's going to proclaim me before everybody. But I also, I'm going to show him the sufferings that he's going to have. And, and of course, he he fills up the sufferings that were lacking, <laughs> that were continue, going to be continued on. And uh, there's the chosen instrument. And so he was kept humble all the way through his ministry. If we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we look at verse 9. This is talking about being fools for Christ's sake. Sounds strange, doesn't it? A fool for Christ's sake. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. He's put us on display, exhibited us as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world. And the word for spectacle, interesting word, theatros, thea, theater. We become a theater, a spectacle. People are watching us. All the world is. We've become a spectacle. We're both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Boy, Paul has a way with words, doesn't he? He definitely is bringing forth something here with color here. But you are prudent in Christ. We are weak. But you are strong. Okay? You are distinguished. But we are without honor. See, he's having to defend his apostleship. That's the context to the Corinthians. And of course, they were living their lives in immorality as the church is not a great example of the church. <laughs> but the, the, that's the church. And he's saying, "You're strong. Yeah, we're we're weak. You know, to this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless." Paul was homeless. You ever thought about that? Many times he's been homeless, and we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become, look at this folks, as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. The great apostle Paul, other apostles, other the groups that were with him, and they were right at the edge of death all the time. And they weren't treated with royalty most of the time. And of course, when they would go into the synagogues, you can imagine how they'd be treated after they would give the message of the Messiah. And uh, there it is. This well-educated man that we studied about last week, one of the elite, the intelligentsia, is what he's a part of, or coming from the Jewish realm, and now becoming a Christian, he's slandered and dishonored, scum of the world, but it's all for Christ's sake. This is part of the suffering that he went through. And of course, Christ told Ananias that uh, here's what I'm going to have him do. I'm going to have him give the gospel. 
And when you give out the gospel, um, they can treat you like they treated Christ. That's really what, what it amounts to. Well, if that's not enough, go to 2 Corinthians 11. And it's, uh, the Corinthians again, he has to really bring forth some things that maybe start having them to think. Matter of fact, I think when Paul started out Corinthians in the first verse, Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's a reason why he called himself an apostle there, because they were starting they were wondering if he was really an apostle, doubting who he was. He has to prove it. Second Corinthians, same thing. You know, a lot of times he doesn't necessarily always call himself. In Galatians, what did he call himself? Paul, an apostle. Right? He proves himself through the first two chapters. Uh, what did I say? Second Corinthians 11, um, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Talking about the ones who were making fun of him and they were trying to take the place of the apostles. I speak as if insane. I am more so. He says, okay, they're servants of Christ. I'm even more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. You can't even count the times that he was beaten. How many times can you recall the times you've been beaten? He couldn't even recall them all. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 39, they said, was about as far as one could take it. Anything over after that could be death this close five times three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned left to die if he didn't three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day I've spent in the deep I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers dangers from robbers dangers from my countrymen dangers from the Gentiles dangers in the city dangers in the wilderness dangers on the sea dangers among false brethren I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Wow. (laughs) Quite the cost, wasn't it? This... Look at chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. You know, he did get to see paradise. Caught up to the third heaven. And then we read in verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. They're way beyond anything that he he could even relate to here. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. God is really good. He let him see what he saw, and then he kept him very humble because Paul would have had the humanness in him to be tempted to be very prideful with that. And he said, he kept me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He has said to me, My grace 
is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, all those things we just talked about. He says, I'm content with those. This is not the American way. (laughs) This is not the feel-good gospel. He says, I am content with these weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then that's really whenever I am strong. That's whenever I'm at my best. Boy, is that ever thinking differently. The Scripture. Paul just, that's just out of First and Second Corinthians. I'm not going to go any further because we're in Acts 9 and it's exciting there and I want to get back to there, but that's a, that is really kind of humbling to, I think, uh, Paul and anybody who's a Christian. Uh, he, if anybody had an opportunity to be exalted up, oh, here comes the great, great Paul, you know, and then he remembered where the Lord had taken him. He says, I, I will show him how much he suffers for my, will suffer for my name's sake. He sure did. All to the glory of God. There's a commissioning there. You know, there's a, a great commissioning of telling him that he's going to go to the Gentiles, he's going to go to kings, he's going to go even to the sons of Israel. He did. One of the synagogues went to Gentile cities all over the, the known world at that time and even into Europe. And uh, this uh, this is quite the commission. Turn, turn over to a parallel passage of this story that he relates in Acts 22, verse 14. 22, 14, and 15. Oh, pick it up, verse 12. A certain Ananias, uh, a man who was devout by the standard of the law, and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near said to me, Brother Saul. By the way, let's don't overlook that word, brother. He's heard about Saul. I don't think he's ever met him. And he's heard about him. And he calls him brother. Because the Lord told him what was to be done. Uh, Receive your sight. At that very time, I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from His mouth. For you will be a witness for Him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins calling on His name. Now that... That one verse could be troublesome to some people. Get yourself baptized and you'll get your sins washed away. I don't think you guys have any trouble with that, right? Should I explain it? So related. Baptism was to related to being one of faith that the two went hand in hand. And of course, he, he is washed away uh, as far as his sins are concerned there. And... Uh, 
as he calls upon the Lord. What a what a thing happened there. But boy, uh, Ananias had quite the message to give. Just just in that one verse fourteen, we get some detail. The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will. Hasn't known His will very good before this, has He? And to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from His mouth. You're going to be a witness for Him to all men of what you've seen and heard. What are you delaying? Get out! (laughs) Get it going! Wow. There's a commissioning. We go back to Acts 9. Verse 17, Ananias departed entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you, he saw him, on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We know what happens with the early church when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? We have seen that over and over and over uh, Jesus spoke of it in Acts 1. We see it happen in Acts 2. And then right on from there, uh, the Word of God's being preached and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. You get Stephen. You get Philip. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter. John. Ever, all of the disciples. filled with Men full of the Holy Spirit that were the, the Jewish guys who had uh, Hellenist Jews become Christians. Yeah, Park. Last week when we were talking about um, secrets and whether a person who is thinking is a Christian or whether a non-Christian right. speaks, um, this is kind of an example right here where, I mean, the last thing he was looking for, the last thing Saul was seeking was Christ. And now he's going to seek him out like he's never sought him out before. And those three days, I mean, he's praying, he's seeking out the Lord. So, what was the verse you talked about? Didn't you talk about a verse in Jeremiah? Mm -hmm. What verse was that? Um, Give me a moment here. You didn't necessarily have to be a Christian to be Yeah, um, I don't know what that is, Barb, and uh, okay, I should. Well, if I can get to it real quick here, I thought I thought I had it here. Um, don't worry, Dennis. I'm pretty sure I had that written down, Barb. I know I did because I turned right to it. If I'd had it in memory, I could do it right now, couldn't I? But uh, yeah, there were, there were a couple of passages, but uh, that one in Jeremiah was pretty uh, pretty evident that people, you know, are to seek the Lord. But yet we find out that no one seeks after the Lord. So how does that venture out? But he does put a desire into people's hearts that they do seek him. That they, you know, they have that desire, and then of course they're drawn to him. But yet there are people. You know that you know, how how do we seek him out? So it's it's put together. That desire is also the same desire, isn't it? That also draws people to look for substitutes. Yeah. To the real thing. Yeah. Um, I often think of uh, Carrie Livgren, who was with that group called Kansas. And uh, if ever there was somebody like a seeker, it was him, because he had what he called, I like to refer to it as what he says, the uh, the religion of the month club. 
it was Hinduism one month, and then you know I had enough of that. You know, I mean, he'd be reading everything, you know, and then it'd be uh, into some other Eastern religion, you know, and then one and he'd studied them all, and he found out they were all falling short. So finally, there was a, a guy out of a, a group called Louisiana LaRue, and they were touring together, and they were on the train together. And uh, the, I think he was a guitar player, and he started sharing Jesus Christ with him. And um, all of a sudden, that seeking that he had done on his own, really, and so there he is seeking out, He but he didn't know what he was seeking. That's what I was going to ask. Do they know what, do they know what they're seeking? Yeah. But who gave him that interest to even look for, knowing that there's something missing? And, you know, he wrote songs like Dust in the Wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Remember that song? Everybody's heard that one. All we are is dust in the wind. You've never heard that? Oh, you have to hear that. Seriously. Yeah. Well, they know a lot of those songs back in the 60s and 70s. You'd be surprised. You never heard it either. Okay. But it's about we're sinners that we're nothing and he, he was so close I think when he wrote that but he didn't know the answer to that till later don't you think that for what I understand what God does in that time if he uses it he shows you the law he, keep, he keeps bringing you up to the law mm-hmm. he keeps showing you that you're, you're, there's something lacking and he lets you keep trying all these other things until you've exhausted all those other things and then the law killed him yeah. and of course when the law kills us we now have new life. <laughs> oh, Ananias, what a what a neat story! And uh, so he tells him to get up, yeah, baptized. It's shown that he's part of the body of Christ, and um, took food. He was strengthened. Three days he didn't eat. You know, I mean, he. You know, and you're talking about just a a fast where he was just there was definitely a seeking of the truth of the Lord and all that just happened he had to be going over all this stuff in his mind and the Lord showing this now the Holy Spirit's there and it's like the light has come on physically and now spiritually all the way and the next thing he does that's interesting in my study Bible. He took food and was strengthened. And that's in verse 19. Then it has a caption. It's kind of odd. It says, Saul preaches Christ. But the verse is not over there with. And I, I thought it was. And I looked down here. No, it's not over till it says, Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So, all of a sudden, he's the one who's coming to Damascus to get the Christian Jews back to Jerusalem. And now you're talking about a total turnaround. He's fellowshipping with the very ones he was going to arrest. Now, is that a God thing or what? And that's what Christians do. They just have a natural desire to be around other Christians. wonder why that is. <laughs> so, several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Look in Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's a good thing for brethren to dwell together, isn't it? Here the psalm writer says, I am a companion of all those who fear you. 
63. I am a companion of all those who fear you. Who, who are the ones who fear Him? His people, right? Believers. And of those who keep your precepts. The one who fear Him. The one who keep His precepts. They show their believers. I'm a companion of them. I like to be around them. Right? I like to fellowship with them. That's exactly what happens with him as this happens. Now, we see that Saul very quickly is getting into service. And I want you to think of that Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? But to serve. And to give his life a ransom for the many. That was Christ himself. He was a servant when he was here. The king of the universe. And all the stuff that he went through. Saul went through some same kind of stuff, close to it, suffering. But um, So immediately after describing this dramatic conversion of Saul, of Tarsus, Luke now is going to go on to tell of his efforts that he has in serving the Lord, and it's very quickly. The persecutor becomes one who's going to be persecuted (laughs) because of his bold proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God and Christ. Paul is not a special case. We all are... Called to do that. Yeah. God wants those whom He saves to serve Him, and so that's what we get to see here. Quite a quite a pattern, you know, in the way that uh, Paul is saved, and this is rather dramatic, but. Um, he realizes he no longer can live for himself, but rather for him who died and rose again. Second Corinthians five fifteen. I'm sure he did. Yeah, it's, he's, I think, um, of course, God says, "For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake." Because this is what's going to happen. I, I I believe that it's like this. When one becomes a believer, they begin bearing witness about Jesus Christ. They may not know very much at all, and they don't have to. At first, all they know is what Christ did. And so he starts proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. But he starts, you know, he starts taking those scriptures, really dwelling on them, thinking on them, and he sees him as a son of God, as a Messiah, and. He could have thought like this, well, I'm going to look like a fool. I came up here to do my job as the Pharisee of Pharisees, and that's what my job is. I came here to arrest followers of Christ, and now it's going to look look like I'm unstable. You know, he could have been thinking about that, but no, he's, he's not. Going to, he can't do that. Damascus isn't my home. I'll just wait till I go back to. You know, I'll go back to Jerusalem or, or somewhere and begin a ministry there. Don't you know the high priest is waiting for them to come? Yeah, he's supposed I mean, to be bringing. I mean, I'm sure that's that's a great day. They're ready to have a great big party because they're going to get these Christians out of here. Here comes Paul. Well, if he shows up. Yeah, he's not going to go there for three years, is he? Mm-hmm. 
So what did he do? He, he just started proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, look at verse 20. And immediately, I mean, he's with these other Christians. He begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. He goes right in there for the Jewish people who believed in a Messiah, but not Jesus, <laughs> saying He is the Son of God. That's bold. That's saying He is God. And somebody, the cults like to say, well, that means He's, he's the Son of God. It means He's a God, but He's a less than God. Of course, all the cults, they'll never say that He is God. I've never ran into a cult yet that say that He is Jesus is God, Almighty Creator of the universe. Whether it be Jehovah's Witnesses, whether it be the Mormons, they'll say He's God, alright? Part of the Trinity, that's their own definition. But as God is, we will become. You too will be God. That's what the Mormons really teach. Um, but anyway... Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse 22. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews, I guess, who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christos or the Mashiach, Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He just started proclaiming that. Saul didn't have it all together at first, but I tell you, a lot of things were clicking really quick. And he's filled with God's Spirit. And verse 22, it says, He... Um, he kept increasing in strength, spiritual strength, mental and physical and everything else. Um, verse 21, all those hearing him continued to be amazed. You know what they were saying? Well, naturally. Isn't this he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Is it, is it this? Why? <laughs> That's why this is one of the greatest proofs of Christianity with what it did with this historical person. This man really did live. And there are writings by secular people about this man, Paul. He really did live. What a transformation. And it transformed all, even the, all the apostles, what they did. But this man, from what he had done, a total swing around. Only God could have done that. And that's why, if somebody says, well, I want proof, well, of course, you know, proof is, I guess they'd have to go back and see the resurrected Christ, see Him coming out of the grave or something. But uh, we have many proofs. I mean, the, the Scriptures themselves. Uh, but that's uh, that's pretty amazing when you think about what happened to Paul. Killing them and then all of a sudden a, a major turnaround. And why would anyone do that unless they absolutely went nuts or he had seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead? So he starts bearing witness about Christ. How could he not? Have you ever seen a Christian who did not want to share Christ? Sometimes we get a little nervous or maybe we get um, shy. We don't say anything. But sometimes some of the best witnesses are brand new Christians because they don't know any better. Can't help but start saying, yeah, this is what happened to me. you know. And then you start finding out people don't really take to that too kindly. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that, Barb? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. It, it got people all over town a little ruffled. <laughs> yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I think uh, 
you guys had that uh, wasn't that dealing with the church there didn't they put a, an article in there and it disturbed yeah that our church was publishing yeah. testimonies uh-huh. of different people at the time and they asked exactly if they could put mine in and I said sure and it started out the first word was I, or the first sentence was I was raised a Catholic but the way the paper did it they put that in big bold print oh And all you really told was, hey, here's what happened. Here's yeah. my story, you know. Yeah. Well, what I did say, and it wasn't in bold faith, was that I said any shortcomings are purely my own. I'm not blaming the Catholic yeah. Church for anything. But, but that wasn't in bold faith. Um, that's neat being able to get an article in the paper like that. I think that that is really something, how, how the Lord works in that. Because, boy, you know, it's awfully hard. Really, an article in the paper. It was a paid advertisement by the church. Right. Is that what it was? Yeah. Could would they let you do that again? Can you? Yeah, it was. It went on for quite a few weeks, didn't it? Yeah. I think that's great. They they didn't have any problem at all, as long as you paid them money, right? First Amendment, you can put anything you want in there if you pay for it. Can you? But they they took it as a personal attack against the Catholic Church because. They felt like they were being systematically attacked because it happened more than once. Was there per- some pretty good? Did you get any response? Much off that off the paper? From. I mean, just like running, kind of like a, a what was it? Once uh, once a week. In there. Uh, I think we probably did it once a month, or just every now, whenever somebody would get it. Allowed. How many did they run? Ten or twelve different ones in the yeah. series. Kind of like a whole series. Mm-hmm. I think mine was one of the last ones. Wow. <laughs> I after all that. Kind of like testimonies and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's great. That's great witness. Well, it was interesting. He was the only rebuttal. He himself. Nobody else wrote any rebuttals to him or me after that. Well, Jesus is God. He's equal with God. Um, of course, you think of um, you think of the deity passages. I'm sure you guys know those. Of course, you think of John one one, right? The beginning of the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. You can think of. I mean, almost any book of the Bible is going to have it, uh, especially in the, throughout the New Testament. Um, it's always a good study, just the deity of Christ. I think John 10.30 was really good where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Uh, we are of the same essence. We are, you know, that, that is, is just like saying, I am God um, in, in Hebrewism. And that's why they wanted to kill him then, because that was blasphemy as he made that. Anyway, he confounded the Jews, and Scripture was the basis for all of his arguments. Uh, he, he he proved the scriptures. It says in verse 22, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. He proved it. F. F. Bruce says that the word proving literally means to put together. He put together those passages like in Isaiah 53. 
you could you, you could go back to Genesis, right? Right in Genesis three, uh, the Proto-Evangelium, even right there. Who knows how many verses that he picked up, you know, and and showed that he was uh, the Messiah. So Saul had great advantage over many new believers at that time. He already knew the Old Testament. So that now is coming to life to him, a defense of the Scripture like you wouldn't believe. Um, and we know he didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and later on he uh, he does three years later. Uh, he spent time uh, studying Scripture, pouring over it, being able to put it all together. And of course we know uh, whenever he wrote books like Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians, those great doctrinal books, that uh, those first three years he probably put a lot together there, um, sound biblical doctrine. And he deepened the knowledge of uh, Scripture. It's kind of interesting. It says, uh, when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together, verse 23, to do away with him. It, di- it didn't take long. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Now they're trying to kill him. It's like he had been trying to kill But his disciples took him by night, let him down through an opening in the wall. There was a wall all the way around the city at that time. And uh, they let him down in a basket. Now that's pretty humbling. <laughs> the great apostle, Paul, or this great Saul, who was one of the educated of their day as a Jew, and there he is lowered down on a large basket the only way he can get out of there. When he came to Jerusalem, this is the three years later, he came to Jerusalem trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he's a disciple. I don't blame him. What would you have done? <laughs> and when he's saying disciples, it not only could be the, the twelve, but it could be the, the believers. And, uh, but Barnabas, and it takes one guy like a Barnabas um, that helps us along. And this is the encourager. Took hold of him, brought him to the apostles, described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and, and they're going, you know, I know Barnabas, you don't, you don't really love people and everything, and you're really good with people, but listen, Barnabas, um, <laughs> this is a little much to believe. But he convinces them. He had talked to them how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So when he came to Jerusalem finally, guess what he's doing out in the streets? Speaking out the name of the Lord. And I'm sure some people are saying, that's that's Saul. What is, what is he doing? Is this a trap? And he was talking and arguing with the, look at this, I like this, the Hellenistic Jews. That was the group of people that Stephen was ministering to. You remember them? In the synagogues, the Hellenistic Jews. So guess who's going to them now? Saul. Who had everything to do with Stephen's death. And now he's doing what he did. That's amazing. They were tempting to put him to death, though. <laughs> but the Lord says, no, it's not time. I'm not going to do a Stephen here. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea. Get him out of here. Get him. Let's go. You know, they ushered him out. They went up to Caesarea along the coast there and sent him away to Tarsus, back home. 
And this is where we're closing tonight. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace. Guess what? There's a rest time for the Christians. And the Lord does that occasionally. It's good to have an oasis. They enjoyed peace. They were being built up. Well, they don't have they don't have Saul chasing them right now. He's one of them. <laughs> Wonder what his dad thought. <laughs> he was a Pharisee too. Being built up, being edified, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those just bind together good, don't they? The fear of the Lord, but yet the comfort and the Holy Spirit. And it continued to increase. How many times have you seen that? The church would have some persecution or have something, and all of a sudden it just builds up even more and gets strengthened, and it continues to increase. Well, there we go. The church is off and running again. And now they have another man who's going to lead them to the Gentile world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. It is exciting. This is life. And to see that sometimes it looks rather crude when we see the suffering and the hardship that can come because of speaking out for Christ, but then we also see that those who fear the Lord take comfort in You, and they're not scared of man, and they are settled and they're filled with your Spirit, and they realize that you have everything in control. And as long as you're in control, we know that ultimately, really nothing can go wrong. You will always be there with us, no matter how it goes down. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for all the different ways that you um, have shown who you are. You are immense, multifaceted, And uh, Lord, may we gain from this some insight to our own lives and that we can be witnesses that will be bold to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen.